previously on the Enneagram Journey. Let's play a game, all right? Mm. On the count of three, name your favorite dinosaur. Don't even think about it, just name it. Ready? One, two, three. Velociraptor. If you were a chick, who's the one guy you would sleep with? John, John Samos. Samos. What? Did we just become best friends? Yup. Do you want to go do karate in the garage? Yup. The thing that I would love people to know about eights, one thing, is that eights push themselves so hard. Eights are indefatigable. That's I a think. word. Tell me that word. Indefatigable. I've never heard that word. Untiring. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In, in their ambition to make stuff happen. Okay? So, this all seems horrible. I've seen worse. Sorry. No, we could use a little worse. Dr. Banner. Now might be a really good time for you to get angry. That's my secret, Captain. I'm always angry. If that doesn't get you jacked for a podcast about the Enneagram, then I don't know what will. Meet my new best friend, Danielle Schroyer. I love this conversation, and I'm confident after listening that you're going to feel the same way. Danielle and Anagram 8 joined Suzanne and myself at the Micah Center to talk about anger, Buddhism, faith, family, and being a soul ninja. She's a great follow on social media, and be sure to check out Safe Spaces Lebanon and show them some support. Plug time. If you're catching this prior to Halloween, and more specifically prior to Saturday, October 22nd, then join us for Trick or Treat, Passion or Virtue, a scary good night of Anagram teaching with Suzanne, and uh, maybe she'll even dress up as the fairy godmother. Uh, that's worth the price of admission right there. It's going to be streamed live from the Micah Center. All participants, both there in the building and online, will have access to the replay through the end of the year. Answering the questions, what is your passion? How can you recognize when you're deep in it? And how can you pivot from it and embody your Enneagram numbers virtue? Saturday evening, October 22nd. Register at lifeinthetrinityministry.com or click on the link in the show notes. It's the month of Halloween, and you know what else is really scary, and it keeps me up at night, honestly. The thought that you might miss the final stop of the Anagram Journey Toward Wholeness tour in Kansas City, Missouri. It's going to be November 11th and 12th. You don't want to miss out on this one. It's the final stop. It's been a great year. If you visit lifeinthetrinityministry.com slash tour22, you're going to see moments and pictures and times and links to the previous podcast and all the stops that have happened so far this year and it's going to get you jacked to go ahead and sign up so you can sign up you can see those pictures you can listen to previous podcasts of course on the Enneagram journey hear it for yourself ask your questions in person and then Suzanne's teaching on the Saturdays is just dynamite that's going to be Kansas City Missouri November 11th and 12th sign up today the Enneagram Journey podcast is produced by Life in the Trinity Ministry, if you didn't know that already. The podcast is made possible by the support and contributions of individuals, groups, and institutions who also believe in a community, encouraging self-knowledge, fostering spiritual maturity, 
and the values of Micah 6.8. You can support LTM and the Anagram Journey podcast by donating at the link in the show notes or visit lifeinthetrinityministry.com or theanagramjourney.com. And now, the Godmother and the Soul Ninja on the journey. Danielle, as you know, I've uh, kind of been a fangirl for a long time. I don't even know how long we've known one another. So I want you to tell everybody about you and what you have done and what you do and about Dan and the kids to set the table for all the rest of the conversation that we're going to have because I'm real excited just to talk about stuff and I, I need to get I need to introduce you to everybody first and you can do that faster than I can. <laughs> okay, um, that's really sweet. Uh, yes, so let's see how I can, how can I do this very weird journey the most directly. I grew up really fascinated by God. I did not grow up at all interested in church and then felt called, which is awkward because I was like, the thing that's different about me and everybody else at seminary is they like to go. <laughs> they love it. You know, they want to be there every day. And I'm like, why? But luckily during college, I happened to go to a church that was different. And I remember it changed my life because I thought, wait a minute, didn't know we could change the rules. Like, can I do this differently? And then I thought, oh, that's my calling. It's to do church for people that maybe really love God, but maybe all the traditional things aren't the quickest way or the best way for me to feel that connection deepen in what worship should be. So I did that for about 20 years and was part of the emergent church movement. I pastored a church here in Dallas called Journey that was for people who were not ready to give up on Jesus, but were a little tired of ways of thinking about Jesus or ways of being at church that weren't maybe life-giving for them. And we explored what that looked like. Then I stepped down in 2014 to, well, to see what was next, really, which was the hardest thing I think I've ever done. And one of the things that came out of that, well, I wrote two books back-to-back, and then I decided um, to pursue being a spiritual director. So my spiritual director had said, I think this is next for you. And I said, I just, do you know me? You know me better than anybody. Why would I do this job? And she said, I just really think so. But then I had a couple of people who literally came to me and said, would you be my spiritual director? And my spiritual director said, that's how you know it's time for you to be a spiritual director when people start asking you to do it. And so she started apprenticing me and mentoring me. And then I did um, a spiritual direction program at Hayden, which was wonderful And so that has been, I've been living in that contemplative space for a long time. I hung out with Tibetan Buddhists for a couple of years and did a leadership cohort with them. And that also changed my life. Um, We talk more about that later, but yeah. And so now I'm slowly making my way back into the church space after a long time, trying to now again, ask those same questions that I did 20 years ago about rethinking what formation looks like. Um, but I'm coming into it now, not as a pastor, but as a spiritual director. And this, that shift for me feels really important. Mm, mm-hmm. All right. Talk about Dan and the kids. For oh, me. yeah. Dan and the kids. So my husband, Dan, and I met in college. Um, I cannot believe that I'm the cliche that I went to Baylor and I met my husband sophomore year. I adamantly. No way. Right? Right. Can you even believe That's it? That's the Baylor story right there. Oh, it's so, and I was like, I'm never going to get married and look at me. Um, but I did not want to ring by spring. So I waited till October. <laughs> 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 One year after graduation. <laughs> 
He, uh, yeah, he popped the question my first year of seminary and was willing to come and follow me up to New Jersey, which was great. And um, we have two children. Our daughter, Mia, is 20. She's a sophomore in college. She'll be home on Friday. Can't wait to get her back. And our son, Grant, um, is 17, just graduated from high school. And we are all up in the fields about being empty nesters and just the bittersweet of all that. Yeah. So there we are. One of the reasons I think I'm a, I started out being a fangirl is because it, it's like I knew this group of uh, very, oh, and you're an eight, like we oh, put that on the table. That. Yes, I'm for sure. And there are these, there's this group of men who are eights, like almost to the person, and with this whole group of, of these aggressive guys, and then, oh, and then there's Danielle. <laughs> And I thought, well, of of course, <laughs> our daughter Joey, you know, is an aide, and she said she one day that she had been asked to be a uh, a groomsman far more than she'd been asked to be a bridesmaid because all of her friends are men, right? Yes, like all the stuff yeah. that fits you too. Yep. And I don't know if it's the first time we met, but I think it could be. Tony Jones brought me Joe and me to Journey. Right, yes. Right? Is that the first time we met? I think so. I think it might be, too. And do you know that Joe and I live right across the street now? Do you really? Yeah, you know that neighborhood right there with all the 18 houses? Yes. That's where we live. And so, I think about you so much. <gasps> oh my and I goodness. think about us being there at that sweet worship service that was outside the norm and meaningful and breaking all the rules and all the stuff. And I... I think one of the reasons that I've admired you so much is because your strength as a female eight is not obvious, but it's present. And I think female eights need to know that you can carry your strength without it being obvious. So did you just fall into knowing how to do that? Did you know how to do that because you're Lebanese? <laughs> uh, like, how, how I'm fascinated with all the things you're doing too, as a woman who's has a leb who is Lebanese. Is that the yes. appropriate language? Whose mom broke all the rules? Broke all all the, the rules. rules. So yeah. talk about all that for a little bit and tell me where the I can be strong and not be big in the room came from. Yeah. Um, well, so my mom is Lebanese. My grandparents. Well, my grandfather came here when he was twelve. And then my grandmother came here when she was 17 and married my grandfather, who was 37. And she did not even speak English and had never been here. Bless her. I mean, amazing woman. So she learned English on the fly as a 17-year-old who got married to my grandfather. So anyway, yes, my mom was first generation raised. And I jokingly say that we're actually first generation because, you know, if you understand how immigrant families work, my mom, like didn't do American things because right. she was doing Lebanese things. And then I did American things. Yep. Um, and then of course the irony is that now I'm like, why didn't I get to do more Lebanese things? <laughs> why didn't I you teach me that. Arabic? Like yeah. what the heck? Um, but yes, my mom um, married my dad who's not Lebanese. He's white and we're Druze. And so that was just a huge deal. Cause if you're Druze, you marry a Druze unless you're a Mal Clooney who clearly also didn't marry a Druze. But anyway, um, so yes, there was a lot of the um, that sense of renegade rebellion is part of my larger family system mm-hmm. story. 
Um, but I do think as far as the, the, the bigness in the room, I think I lived for a long time in my seven wing. Yeah. I think you thought you were a seven for a long time. Forever. Thought I was a seven forever. And actually I think we've had this conversation that you were the one that was like, huh, are you afraid of pain? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I mean, I don't like want pain, but no, I don't, I don't think about it. And you were like, yeah, I think maybe reconsider about being a seven. And I think that was your gentle nudge of like, honey, you're an eight. (laughs) For sure. Um, And then when I realized that, I thought, oh, that makes a lot of sense. But I am a social eight, so I'm the counter type, which I think is partly why I come across as a little less aggressive, right? Um, Is that right? Well, what I'm aware of is that you don't show your strength till you need to. Yes. Yeah. And I don't know if that's cultural or if you learned lessons and decided to make that choice. I wonder if some of that is cultural. I mean, certainly there's that sense of Lebanese women. Well, Lebanese women are loud. You know, I actually thought I was shy until I got older. Uh, An introvert or shy? (laughs) Both. I thought I was both. Because in my family, even my dad, who's obviously just, he's boisterous while, and that that doesn't come obviously from being Lebanese, but I mean, our family is very loud. Lots Uh of talkers we talk loud and I just thought I was like this quiet and then I got in the world and everybody's like you are so much and I was like am I though (laughs) I have to really speak up at the family table you know um so I think part of it was that in relation that relationship maybe I thought I was more quiet and certainly I think women are taught not to show their strength too soon I think I probably intuited I'm pretty intuitive so I think I probably picked up on the fact that that was not going to go over well yeah like that emotional intelligence piece it doesn't work well if you go in storming. I didn't like people like that mm, also. There you go. So I think maybe early on I saw people that sort of walked in like they owned the place, and I thought, that's gross. Yeah. Um, I can ultimately own the place in a different way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's not going to yeah. actually get you what you want. <laughs> yeah. If you yeah. just wait a minute. What I'd like to do is own the place, but I, I think I'm going to take a different route. Yeah. Well, and I do think, and I think you've talked about this before, but I'm certainly an eight that doesn't need to be in charge. Yep. Just a lot of times I am in charge. Yeah. And if someone else wants to be in charge, I have no, I am not territorial. Um, I don't know if that's true of all eights, but I, I do truly feel that way that I'm like, I mean, if somebody else wants to run this show, I don't, it just a lot of times. I don't think eights are necessarily territorial unless whoever's running the show is inadequate is and doing a bad job. Yeah. yeah. And, and then I think eights just gently and quietly take over without knowing what they're doing. Right, it's yeah, like it's an accident. Uh, yeah, and then all of a sudden it's oh, that person's offended. But I do have everybody in the room. Right, they're listening yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah. The, the yeah, the energy shifted. Otherwise, it's a waste of time. Yes, it's like I got things to do. That's right. So let, let's let's get cracking. Right, what are we here for? And I think that's one of the reasons Enneagram female Enneagram threes and Enneagram eights have a hard time initially deciding which number they are because of that need in threes for. Um, things to progress quickly and yeah. let's be efficient and effective and all the stuff. Yeah. That's why I love working with three. Yeah. Oh, what it a shows delight. so differently though. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah. All right. So I want to talk about that seven wing because uh, I think one of the reasons I'm a fangirl is because you are um, so adventurous, <laughs> right? It's like, I'm going to learn this now and yeah. then I'm going to go do this. Yes. And then I'm going to learn this. So talk about just your last two adventures. Most recent? Yeah. Like big ones? Yeah. 
Um, well, we were just talking right before this <laughs> that I got my black belt about a year and a half ago ish. That was a big adventure. I think everybody just went uh, an eight with a black belt. I know, danger zone. <laughs> Let me tell you something. That is a magical situation because I went in, well, I went in because I've always wanted to do martial arts and it took me until I was 41 to have the time and space and was just the place to do it. But I had this whole thing happen with, I got this phrase soul ninja while I was walking my dogs and I was like, what does that mean? But I came back and I told my husband, I walk in the front door and I go soul ninja. And he's like, what? And I was like, I don't even know, but like, <laughs> it's a thing. That was an adventure. I read every ninja book in the English language. I literally was at SMU library and they were like, are you okay? And I'm like holding a Starbucks and I'm like, this is the only place that has this book. I read all the books. And then I was like, I don't know what this is for, but I think it was guiding me toward that leadership cohort where yep. I stumbled into Buddhism. And I was like, oh, that's what this is for. I think the soul ninja stuff is about a lot of things. But anyway, one of the things it did is get me in the dojang and um, I started and I thought, oh, this is gonna be great. They're gonna be like, yeah, kick your way out of everything. But actually they're like, it's too much control, you know, like breathe. And my teacher, Master Lee is, I mean, he knows how to call me out in the exact same way my spiritual director calls me out, just physically, you know? Yep. So doing the, we could talk about this all day, doing these forms and how each form represents an energy. I did my final spiritual direction paper on the forms of Tyguk and how they relate to spiritual direction and different ways of being. My, my guy was like, this is a unique paper. Thank you so much. I can just see You're me. the only one that's connected the Enneagram, Taekwondo, Buddhism, like this is the random. Whole yeah. Yeah. I, I can just. I can just see me sending somebody to you and saying, now listen, she's going to talk about a lot of things you don't know anything about, <laughs> but just hang in there. Just wait. Yeah. You'll get to something wait. common in a minute. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I yeah. feel like I read a book probably 20 years ago. I think Mark Salzman. Yeah. Is that a human being? Yeah. Yes, it is. Man, this, I've got to reread it. It's been 20 years. Yep. Can you help me think of the name of this? I, I'm the one with the computer um, in front of me. It's the second book that we read by him 20 years ago, but the first book is one of my top three favorite books on the planet. And one of Joey's. <gasps> and Lost in Place is the book that I read. Yeah. Sorry. The one that preceded Lost in Place is Lying Awake. And I'm telling you, it, it'll get you on all levels. I cannot wait. Yep. There's nothing better than a good book. Well, this is a good one. Oh, I'm Okay, it. yeah. Because he was like all into... Being a ninja yep. and Buddhism. How are we not best friends already? That's what, when oh. you were saying, I was like, oh, I wonder if she's going to talk about this. I gotta this. be his friend. Okay, I'm uh, going to read it. Yeah. From the author of Iron and Silk comes a charming and frequently uproarious account of an American adolescence in the age of Bruce Lee, Ozzy Osbourne, and Kung Fu. As Salzman recalls coming of age with one foot in Connecticut and the other in China, he wanted to become a wandering Zen monk. He tells the story of a teenager trying to attain enlightenment before he's learned to drive. I just feel that with every ounce of my being. I get that. Yep. Well, You're welcome, Mark, for the sales. Yeah, yeah, you are welcome. And you read Lying Awake and you'll go, like it's a whole different, it's like the things you just put together, physical, spiritual, all that. Yeah. Well, uh, Lying Awake is the spiritual. Book. Oh my gosh, I can't wait. Well, literally in at the, the banner that I see every day when I go to practice, I'll be there tonight. Uniting heart, mind, and and body. Body, yep. 
Well, right? that, you know, that's what I'm trying to do. I know. <laughs> yes, yeah, what I'm trying to you do. You could just do Taekwondo yeah. and it gets in there. Yeah, it does. Well, it. if it I happens. can just get them to bring up their repressed center, I can send them right on over to You're you. Right. <laughs> yes. And what, Master Lee? Master that, Lee. Yeah. I, I like, I feel like I'm just 101 courses and then we'll move. Oh, man. On. Master Lee will just take you out with just like a couple words. Yeah. I'm like, wow, that just really ended me. He has really. <laughs> Moved my spiritual transformation ahead in just like little comments that he'll make about things. And I'm like, dang, if that's not my whole life that you just told me. Yeah. So I didn't know uh, much about being uh, Lebanese and Druze. Mm -hmm. So Joe and I Googled Druze so that we could learn for a minute. Oh, I just can't wait to hear what you even read. I thought it was like a last name. Like Stabiles don't blah, blah, blah. Right. Like that's what. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how. Far off I was. <laughs> well, the the thing that interests me in relationship to you is that from what I read, most people who are Druze are very, I don't know if the word's religious or spiritual, but outside of any kind of structure like a church. Right. Just it's in my DNA. Is that it, not hilarious? That's what I'm asking about. And is, is it in your DNA? Oh, it, Absolutely. The, the more like. I learn, I'm like, ah, you know how you think you're a per- you're an individual person, yeah. And then you're like, these are my ancestors. Here's a funny story. I've been getting really into my um, heritage. My grand, my tita died. My grandma, Lebanese grandmother, very close to her. She died um, in May of 2020, and it was a huge loss for me because she was one of my people. And um, even before then, I was really paying attention to my roots and my ancestors. And it really, the Tibetan Buddhists were like, you've got to really pay attention to that. And I'm like, yes, I know. It's always, it's actually always been very important to me. But I was talking to my uncle and he was connected to our family that still lives in Lebanon. And um, it's in the mountains of Beirut that most of the Druze live. And that's where I, my family comes from as well, obviously. And he was like, oh, yeah, um, our cousin there has done this study of like our whole, he's trying to trace back our whole family history. And he said, pretty much everybody on the family tree, you ready for this, is either a warrior or a doctor. (laughs) That's fascinating. I was like, I am just such a cliche. Yeah. Just walking in whatever I got born into because I am a warrior he doctor. Like, yeah. yeah. What do I do? Well, I don't know. I kick things and I have a lot of, they're all, everybody, like my great grandfather's like a general of the army you know okay well that fits and then the rest are physicians and they all found their spouses at baylor (laughs) right before spring year yeah Yeah, right sophomore yes so i thought that was hilarious in knowing you and reading what you sent to us to work with and uh reading your books and thinking about you it occurred to me when we added the Lebanese Druze piece that there's a whole thing that I've never explored and I'm not sure what to read to do it, but I'll figure it out about the difference in Enneagram numbers in families in first or second generation immigrants. Mm -hmm. Because my guess is I've always talked about the fact that if your Enneagram number never changes, so if you experience trauma, then you're just deeper in your number and you just have to do more work to get up here. Right. And I think that I'm beginning to think, I don't think that yet, but I'm beginning to think that that's true for first or second or into third generation 
families that have immigrated to this country because it's traumatic. Yeah. And because I think for every culture, there's a desire to be here and hold on to where you came from. And it seems like what Americans have expected is, oh, it's you, so you want to be us. Well, that's so great because here's how you do it. Right. So just speak to all the stuff I just yeah. said. Yeah. Well, I think this is the hardest thing for a second generation is that there's that pull because your parent wanted just to be American. Yeah. You know, my mom just like wanted people not to think her last name was weird and to think that hummus was weird to have in your lunch, but like all the things about assimilation that make total sense. Of course she felt that way. Right. And I was like, there's no better place in the world to me than my grandmother's kitchen table. Mm-hmm. When we're sitting around doing Lebanese things is when I feel the most me. You know, when I'm talking to my Jiddu and he's talking about Khalil Gibran and like, uh, that's where I just feel the most alive. And so that felt like the, the most important part of me. But I have to honor that it was not for my mom because she was so working on that act of assimilation. But for me, thinking about the eight piece, it's just really allowed me to have a sense of honor, maybe is the word, that like if I have a, I mean, literally soul ninja, a warrior healer, right? Like right. it's everywhere. We're, it's just walking cliche of itself. But maybe part of that is I give myself a sense of like self-compassion that it's not I'm too much or I'm too aggressive or whatever, but that I come from a lineage of people for whom warriorship has always been important there you go. and that I can honor that in the way that I live. Right. And then of course the other part of the Druze thing that I think is so interesting is that it's esoteric, right? So only you can't understand what the religion's about because only the enlightened ones, the chosen ones get to know. Well, I think that's interesting. That's actually why my mom's a Christian because she was like, that's dumb. I'm going to just go be with Jesus, you know, which yeah. I appreciate that. Sure. <laughs> Being as this is my calling now. Yeah. yeah. I appreciate it. Good me thing and there. Jesus, yeah, yeah. Me and Jesus are doing great. Um, but I, I always was like, oh yeah, mom, that's so unfair. Like, let's be democratic and let everybody. But the more that I grow up, the more I'm like, you know what? The reason I haven't written a book since Original Blessing is because all the stuff I've learned is not for everybody you got to be ready for some of this stuff, you know? Not that I'm saying I have esoteric knowledge, but Pete, you have to, you know, you actually do this so well because you can talk to a whole group of people in different places and you can meet them where they are. But you also know that there's a lot of stuff about Enneagram that you know that you do not say. No, no. Because Enneagram is also esoteric. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm like, see, this is this makes deep sense to me now at this point in my life. I, I agree I think we should just let some things be a little bit unknown. Yeah, exactly. So uh, there was a uh, article in Religious News Service about my work in the book this last week or so, and I gave in to the temptation to read some of the comments, which I don't do, and I wish I hadn't now. But oh, now I'm glad I did because I have this moment. Because one of them said, you know, this is whatever, blah, 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 and it is not scientific. And I want to say, that is absolutely correct. Thank you so much. Isn't that great? (laughs) Because not everything is. Like, I was all whipped up. Right. But Joel doesn't. Joel says we can't comment on anything ever. So I don't. It's a a journey you got to go on. It's Um, a good rule. 
And that person really needs science, the scientific thing to yep. be the most important. So they, they don't that's have okay. room. To the, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. If it's not for you, that's okay with me. Yeah. But science, not my gig. No. Right? Not my gig. And I accept the mystery that we must live with yes. by being able to unlock some of the mystery that determines who and how we are in the world. Mm-hmm. And if you don't live with any mystery, it's coming. Right. Mystery's coming. Yes. And if you didn't get to practice, then I, I, I'm sorry, because you're not going to know how. Yeah. Right? Yes. The best way to talk about those that I've found to describe certain people online and in the world is the people that don't know what the Enneagram is tell you what the Enneagram is not. That's true. That's, that's good. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, that's really so, good. So I'm going to quote you on that. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's exactly right. And I think books like my books and your books and Original Blessing, and I do want you to talk about Original Blessing and the Enneagram because our audience will just eat that up, and then they'll buy Original Blessing, which <laughs> we want them to do. But one of the things uh, uh, is that any book like Original Blessing makes me feel hopeful mm. because I grew up, my dad started practicing medicine. My, first of all, my dad moved from East Texas to the Panhandle in a covered wagon. Good Lord. That's astonishing. Wow. And then became a doc and then decided to, with other options on the table, people really wanting him as a surgeon, decided he would rather be a small doctor because they need good mm. medical care too all of which is very spiritual once you get to know him for most of a lifetime and, and um i don't know why i'm talking about him i don't know how oh and he he always taught me because he started practicing medicine before sulfur drugs and all the stuff right Golly. covered wagon before sulfur drugs more and more and more and he always taught me there's more to learn. There's more. But more was never mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. It was more. And it was, it seems to me now that it was always more that engages thinking and feeling and doing. Yes. Which original blessing does. Yeah, so talk about I was going to say Taekwondo, but also, yes. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I was just sitting here and my knee was, I was thinking, you know, I might do Taekwondo and then my knee was going, da 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 da. I thought, well, maybe. It's maybe for not. everyone. Is it 71 it you is. think is Literally, not Literally, well, we, we will talk about original blessing, but yes, we have a 96 year old. There you go. Who just got his sixth degree um, a few months ago and he did the whole black belt test. And I, I was like, I just want to be you when I grow up. I love master Jerry so much. He's the best. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yes. Original blessing incorporates the thinking and the feeling and the doing because it, it requires our wholeness. There you go. You know? And I think people are searching for wholeness, but they don't own they haven't taken ownership of the wholeness that they already have. Yes. And it's because they can't name it. And I name it in my work and you name it in yours. And we use different language, but yeah. we're naming the exact same, same thing. thing. The exact same thing. Yeah. And it's like, don't go out looking for wholeness that you already have. 
know what you have, then look for more. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes the more is the less because it's the Meister Eckhart thing that really all good spiritual discipline is subtraction, yeah. not addition. Yeah. Yeah. Right. What is getting in the way of your wholeness? So the way I connect that on the Enneagram, the thing that feels the most powerful to me, and actually I have not ever told this story, but I was at a Hayden Institute spiritual direction um, intensive and it was Zoom because it was at the end of ours. That's where we were. And I was sitting with my friend. We were at her ranch house trying to get away from like our normal routine of things, trying to like still have an intensive yeah. experience. And we're sitting there and the person was talking about something completely unrelated to the Enneagram. And I'm sitting there listening. And in the back of my head, I have this like, I don't know, vision moment. I don't know. But it was like all the pieces of original blessing in the Enneagram just like went Here's how it is. And the, the, the phrase I remember receiving in that moment was, you have to know the magnet that takes you back home. Mm, that's really good. And I was like, what is the magnet that takes you back home? Mm-hmm. So the whole drive home, two hours, I was like, the magnet that takes you back home. What is the magnet that takes you back home? And it's like the holy ideas, right? The sense yes. that, okay, for example, why do eights get so mad? Why are we so mad all the time? And I know that I come across as somebody who isn't mad, but I am. I'm mad all the time. Mm-hmm. I could tell you nine things I'm mad about <laughs> right now. Right. Legitimately. And the, you, my spiritual director will be the first to tell you, if somebody tries to talk me out of that or tell me it's sadness, mm-hmm. do not get me started. Yeah. It's not sadness. That feels different. I'm I angry. The, I know the I'm difference. I'm angry. I know, I'm not hiding my sadness. My sadness is also there, but my mad is fully present as what it is. And I have a reason to be mad because they're justified, you know? (laughs) But when I think about that in terms of my magnet, my home, what I realize is that that truth of what you see not being what it should be Mm -hmm. is the thing that creates the mad. Well, that that gives me something to work with because I can say, well, the mad isn't going to fix the truth, is it? Yeah. Right? If it spurs me to action in the right way at the right time, great. And if it makes other people just not like me or me be oppressive in the same way that makes me mad about these other things, that also isn't going to get me where I need to go. So for me, original blessing holds that space for us to remember our wholeness and also to find find some sort of connection between how we get off track. And I mean, this is stuff you talk about all the time. Like, how do you lose yourself? Where does the personality show up where you're on autopilot instead of speaking from your essence? It's... All of that is just original blessing, that there's this place within us where the soul is working. And if we can get back to that, we can maybe understand why we're acting that way. And we can say, that is not the only thing available to me anymore. So the mad does a thing, and I'm grateful for it. And it doesn't have to run the thing. Run the show. Right. That's right. So my image when you talked about the magnet is that that whole... uh, experiment we did in third grade where you put the magnet underneath the table and it would draw the little shavings to it and it's almost like if if you are just aware of your soul if you get the stuff close enough to it it'll it'll draw it right in for you i love that image yeah yes it sucks all the shards yeah, in and all of them yes and then you have it all in a manageable yes uh, whole like a clump, and then it becomes a wholeness. Yes, that you can hold and own. Yeah, and then you wait for the next thing. Yes, and I believe that people, that many people that I've encountered, 
are conditioned to believe that there's so much work they have to do before they can connect to the essence of who they are. And that's just not true. It's, absolutely it's all about stuff you have to let go of. Yes. Which gets us back to Eckhart and the whole thing. Have you ever heard me tell the story about the time Joe and I, uh, Richard Rohr had planned a retreat for us, and we're headed to a retreat house in San Antonio driving, and we're going to do this retreat. And he asked us to listen to some teaching of his, the spirituality of subtraction, on the... <laughs> before we got to the actual paperwork. And so we leave Dallas, and we're headed to San Antonio, and I say to Joe, uh, listen, when, when we get to that place where all the outlet malls are, <laughs> have you heard me tell this story? No. When we get to the place where the outlet malls are, could we just stop for a minute and run in so I can get a wide mouth toaster, <laughs> right? And he's just put out with me because he's all, he's back in Father Joe mode, right. you know, and we're on retreat and all the stuff. <laughs> and... Ultimately, he pulls over. He, we're going in to get a wide mouth toaster after a big conversation about why do we need a wide mouth <laughs> toaster for bagels. We don't eat bagels. It's because we don't have a wide mouth toaster. Like I do the whole thing. And literally, I come out with my wide mouth toaster and some potholders, which I'm very happy about, and get in the car. And we had a cassette player in the car. That's how long ago it was. And Joe presses play, and Richard Rohr says, it's just like all those people who think they have to go out and buy a wide mouth toaster. <laughs> That's such a spiritual moment. You can't can't assume for one second that that's not spiritual. No, not for one second. But I resonate with that so much because one of the ways I know I start to lose myself is that I get real focused on getting things done. Just knocking it out. I mean, I don't love anything more than a Monday where I have nine things to do and I do ten. Like, give me that every day. It's like cocaine, you know? Well, uh, it, it is for me too, but as you age, you, you have to have less. <laughs> it takes less to Rest make you happy, days. right? Yes. You, you may have answered this. We're doing a series on the table for Know Your Number, and so I watched the Know Your Number 8s video. We just uh, interviewed two 8s, Alex Choi and Joey Shuey. In a month, we're interviewing Nadia Bowles-Weber, so, and, and you were here, so it's a lot. A lot of eight. A lot of eight stuff happening. And it seemed like you were talking about, you know, that madness needing to, that was maybe the subtraction. And Alex and Joey both said their anger is how they get things done. It's what, and you said that in a sense also. And so my kind of question, and then you just talked about how you love getting things done. So that, and that kind of seemed even as a separate deal from any anger or madness. So my question is, if this makes any sense, so where's the subtraction? If they're, if it's like, okay, we can't change how we see the world. So anger and madness is going to happen. And we can see that this is what fuels us to, to champion, to be the warrior, to do these things. Then what was the subtraction? Yeah. I think it's the intensity and the degree. It's just, it's just what I do with it. And I also have learned sometimes I'm so mad I can't do anything. You know, sometimes I'm so mad that I can't say anything. I can't have a conversation. It will do nothing. I just, in those moments, I look at Dan and I say, I'm going to yoga or I'll see you. I'm going on the longest walk of all time. I'm not even taking the dogs, you know. And I just know that I have to bodily move that out before anything good can happen, you know. And it's fine. It's just, it's a part of being an eight is that Mm -hmm. I have 
not only do I just get mad, but like I walk up, I wake up every day with a volcanic amount of energy mm-hmm. that if I don't burn off, I don't fall asleep. And then the next morning I get to do it all over again, mm-hmm. just like it didn't happen the day before. So this is a very, I mean, I just have a whole rhythm now of like how to manage where the energy levels are, what's happening with them. But I do think there's a, you can make it symbiotic. I mean, Thich Nhat Hanh and all the stuff that he talked about with anger, it's like, just be friends with your anger, you know, get close to it, hold it like a baby, which please, that was the hardest thing he said. I was like, you want me to what? Yeah. <sighs> Fine. Like a baby I'm mad at? Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Like a baby that won't go like to a, sleep? It's more like, like a baby that I'm holding, looking at everybody else, like, how dare you not take better care of this baby? <laughs> what is your problem? You know? <laughs> Alex said, Alex said that his thing was uh, the vacuum. His family knows, you know, he's, oh, like, he's, go, he's like, once he gets out the vacuum and he's not, that's it. That was his stop yeah. thing. And don't talk to him. Just clear out. Yeah. So I want to pursue this for a minute. So Joel, what's yours as a seven? Like what correlates in you to that? Is it is to literally stop and do nothing, but not yoga, not something else it is oh my god just stop and breathe so yesterday i what i explained for people that weren't here for for me was a tense few moments with y'all um i might have blacked out a little bit uh yesterday trying to get set up for zoom today and the zoom wasn't working it wasn't connecting there's no reason for it not to connect all these things and i was just getting more and more and more worked up and more like and angry it kind of reached that boiling point of you can lose it right now now's the time to either lose it or you can take a breath and sit here for a minute and just breathe and sit here and then go about your day and it will either work or it won't work and serenity prayer i did short firm right there like it's either going to work or it's not and do the best you can and you've by the way got 20 other things that you can do right now Uh, that's not this job it's interesting because one of the things i'm very mindful of is that for me, it's to shut up hmm. because I verbally process. And that just means when I'm angry and verbally processing, I'm saying things to people that I'm going to have to apologize for. <laughs> it's creating more work yeah. for you later. Yes. And in the process of all this verbalizing, I might work out this thing. But while I was chatting and chatting to whoever was listening or pretending to listen, which is probably happening more than I think. While I'm chatting, I'm coming up with new things that anger me because I chain as a two. Mm-hmm. And then it's just a mess. You're just off it's to the races. It's just a mess. And I just have to shut. Mm-hmm. I have to sit down and shut up. Well, he like said with all three of us, and I assume with every other human being on this planet, the common denominator yeah. is the illusion of control. That's right. Oh, 100%. See, this is what the Buddhists teach us so well. Yeah. yeah. And once you realize that, it's like, okay, I, you can just get more mad. You can get more angry. It's going to do or nothing. You can kind of let go of that anger a little bit, and which I think is what you, you were saying. Right? Yeah. Yes, and I do think that helps. Well, I will say we hope that if I get somewhere in the day where the management of the anger gets hard, I meditated that morning. <laughs> so, yeah, right? exactly. So that's big for me is that me I, meditation is just a big deal. It helps me have that clarity, right? This is starting to come up a lot in our small groups and at workshops now. People are understanding themselves and their personality. They're like this. Yes, I get it. I get it. I get it. 
they're getting to that point where they're asking, and it's such a bummer of it whenever they hear this answer that I've been giving. This has come up literally four times in the past, I'll say, week and a half. How does the change happen? What do I do? My folks say you just have to do the practices for a long time, and then one day you wake up and you're kind of different. And it doesn't happen in a week, but, you know, the reverend says you do centering prayer for six months. And then you'll notice in six months, you responded differently to something. And you don't know why or how and so on. And that seems like what you're saying as well. I I can think of no spiritual practice that has changed me more than meditation. That's right. Me either. And when I don't do it, I go right back to my old, inadequate, ridiculous self. (laughs) I can sometimes skip days. Well, also, I'm an eight, so I hate routine. So, oh, oh yeah. Yeah. So I take the weekends off because that just makes me feel better yep. about life. Yep. But I can tell I'm like, if it's day three and I missed mm-hmm. that, then it kicks in. But I, I do think there's something about just seeing your emotions for what they are and not getting caught up in them. And for me as an eight, that's about reminding myself that I love that feeling of intensity that's why the enthusiasm made a lot of sense for me in the seven, because it's the same. It's sure. just energy. And I am, most of the intensity does come out of curiosity for me. Yep. So it was real easy Very for me curious. to get mistyped. I'm like, yep. oh, that looks fun. What's that about? Yeah. Let me read all the books about that, right? Um, but if I just realize that I can still have energy and still feel that sense of intensity in a way that's inviting for me and not let it run the show, mm-hmm. I can just sit over here and watch it and just decide what my relationship's going to be, and that includes my anger, mm-hmm. then I can have a way better relationship with it. But especially with the anger piece, it's super helpful. It's deeply clarifying. I love anger. I don't want to get rid of my anger. No. But I just, I know that it doesn't run me. But but it, you also don't want to get rid of it because it's part of the best part of you when it comes to social justice. A hundred percent. And if you get rid of the energy behind what is unjust, then we lose a a great, wonderful aspect of you being in the triad you're in and your gifts and, and, and preparation for leadership. Joe has had committed to traveling all, to all the stops this year with me and worked that out at the church and all that stuff. And I'm aware with him there in the room with me how much I had to do two sits a day instead of one when we were traveling and I was alone. Not alone because Joel and Laura were there, but I was I was alone in my room, nobody to process with, just alone. And if I didn't do another sit, then when I got up to teach the next day, I started by verbally processing my shit. Yes, right. That's bad. It there was are people bad. listening there like, I was at that workshop. <laughs> yeah, and Joel's thinking, it's not my fault. I was in the back of the room going, cut, cut, cut. <laughs> we need to take a break. Break? Nope. Nope, I'm just going to keep on doing my stuff till I feel better. It's fascinating. Well, to me. but I do totally understand that. And I will say one of the things that makes Dan just the best is that he knows that sometimes I just have to go off about something. Yep. You know, and I mean, in the last handful of years, it's been regularly, yeah. you know, and we get the dogs and we walk and I'm like, listen. Mm-hmm. And he already knows, he knows I'm just preaching to the air, but he just lets me go. And I'm like, I cannot believe what are they thinking? This is the dumbest thing. It's insane. And nah, nah, nah. they should do this. Da, da, da. Yep. He just, he lets me just go. And then, you know what? I feel so much better. Yeah, I bet he does too. He doesn't Thankful. try to fix it. He's nope. like, uh-huh. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And then 
it's better. It was better for me when when Joe played that role for me that Dan plays for you, and I thought Joe was listening. <laughs> <laughs> Joe gets to well, Joe Dan zones out too. Dan's a five, so he can just yeah, also zone Joe out. Joe looks like he's listening, and yeah. he knows just when to uh, yeah. be right. hearing a word I'm saying. And actually, that's fine. Yeah, even yeah. just him being I just there, have I'll to take say it. it. Me too. That's right. Me too. Unless, of course, it's about his behavior when I need him to listen. Right, yeah, that's different. Can you talk a little bit more about uh, being married to a five? You know, people that eight, five, those numbers are just so vastly different, and yet they share a line. And Yeah, so here's what's funny to me is I do know a handful of eight women that are married to fives, and we seem to do okay, and I... I didn't realize that was hard until, I don't know, maybe I saw your face or something. You were like, oh, really? Huh? That's all. Eight and five. But Dan is the Buddha, right? So what he does for me is that he's always calm and rational. And I mean, (laughs) I am not often both of those things. Well, that's not true. I actually, in my current state, am. But earlier me was not regularly described as calm and rational. and Uh, Or neutral. You know, that great gift of fives is neutrality. Yes, and I'm actually never that, even two. Yeah, Yeah. and they're the only number that has it. None of us are ever that except them. No, And it's like you either appreciate neutrality in somebody or it really makes you angry. Yeah, when it makes me angry, it can really make me angry. But most of the time, it's the the biggest gift because, you know, he brings me back down. He's like, "Uh uh-huh, and also remember, they probably feel this way. And I'm like, oh, that's true. Yeah. Dang it. You know, and he can just, he's the calmest, Mm -hmm. just, he's just my steady stream. And I just, I think I would be a little bit neurotic if I didn't have him Mm -hmm. around for the last 25 years. It just, I probably, I would just vastly be different. So I think it's interesting that for me, I think it helped me grow in that strength to those five pieces that are healthy. I know that we're meant to go to five and stress, but I really see that that has been such a gift to me in my eightness. Sure. High side. You can't. Take care of yourself without the high side of five. You yeah. can't do it. Yeah. So I, I find that to be such a gift. But also he would say, I think, that he um, really thrives at what he does because he feeds off of my energy. We yeah. were talking this last yeah. night. I was telling him something happened at work and he was like, yeah, no, that's because that's just your energy. Like you bring that energy and that's why I love you. That's why I fell in love with you when we walked across campus that day. And I was like, oh, thank you. He probably is going to be embarrassed. I just said that online because we don't, he's very private. But anyway, um, he, yeah, he takes that energy and that sense of going out of himself Mm -hmm. as an introverted five. And that's why he's great at what he does. Sure. Sure. So I think we, in some ways, it works out that we compliment each other. It's just luck. I think those uh, lines that we share are more important than we recognize. And I think they offer us more than we utilize. Joey um, and I are close. And she and my mother were very close. And I was real close to my mom. And she called one day and she said, Hey, have you thought about this? I'm an eight and grandma was a five and you're a two. Like, we're a thing. Oh, I love that. And she said, I've just been thinking about all the things that I learned when I travel that line to one of you. Yeah. And it got me to start thinking about traveling the line mm-hmm. and how much is to be gained there once we get who we are and why we make the moves we make in security or in stress. While we're pointing out things that are understated, 
the line to the high side of your stress number and equally the low side of your security number. People just want to think about, and it's easy to think about the low side of your stress numbers because it's easy to identify and, and see yourself in and same the other way. But there's a lot of missing tools mm-hmm. at, at those other places. Yeah, one of the things I'm working with, I want to see what you think. I'm, I'm, a, I'm just starting to talk about it, but I've been observing it and thinking about it for two years, maybe three. So I'm trying to complete the whole thing. And, you know, I've done all this teaching now about if you can go to the high side of your stress number, and you should. Mm-hmm. So learn about it so that you can. And you're still going to be unhealthy in your stress number at times. And you, you don't automatically go to the high side of your security number. There's the low, unhealthy side of that, too. Uh-huh. I think that is where false self is. I think you're exactly right because I will tell you, I, I know that there were a handful of years ago when I was on the edge of my pastoral burnout. And I, what I realized was, and actually the reason I realized it is because my, my church was like just the best. And they were like, hey, can you write down all the things that you did so that when we look for this new pastor, and I wrote everything down, and they, they, the next time we all met together to talk about it, to get ready for the pastor search thing, they were like, are you kidding me with this list? And I had no self-awareness that anything was wrong with the list. And they were like, how long have you been doing all these things? And I was like, that's my job. Like, what? I, I had no awareness that I took care of everybody's thing, but it was the low side of two mm-hmm. that the eight in me, which my spiritual director says, just because you can doesn't mean you should, mm-hmm. right? Yes. I just have room to be like, are you stressed? And I am also, I, I pick up on people. I'm slightly empathetic, yeah. right? So when I meet with somebody and they're volunteering at my tiny church and I see that they have a lot going on, I just take I just take that yep. from them. Yep. I want to. Sure. I actually do want to from a very true part of me. Yeah. And I have room, right? Like I'm an eight. Give me something yeah. to burn off. Yeah. Like it's, you're helping me too, right? I can walk off your problems. I can <laughs> walk it all off. I got so much room for all that. But then like, you know, at some point I didn't have enough energy at the end of the day to get through all the list That's of right. all the things I took from people that I did not ever give back. And it took me so long to figure out I did that. And I think... I remember, but this is before I had any language yet from the Jungian um, psychology stuff about persona and, you know, false, what we would say false self. But I remember telling my spiritual director, I said, you know, I feel like I'm just a walking personality. Mm-hmm. Mm, she that's said, big. well, that's not good. And mm-hmm. I said, I just like, where is, I just want to spend time with the me that's me. Yeah. Right, I didn't have any language for it, but it felt like the low side of two, yeah. where I was doing everybody's, taking care of everybody's things. They didn't ask; it was right. not their fault. Right. It's oh, nobody's fault it. but mine. I got it. Because they're like, "We're so sorry," and I'm like, "You didn't. You didn't do it. I, I did. did it." Yeah, you know what? It what it. <sighs> here's some good two language. This is what it looks like from my perspective. I set things up so that people will depend on me, and then I get mad at them for depending on me. <laughs> I, I do remember feeling some of that. Yeah, yes. that's the thing. It's like, how dare you need me? And I set up the whole game, <laughs> right? right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. So embarrassing. I can't believe I have this whole list of things to do that I, yeah. my, I alone have created. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And you now have acquiesced to allowing me to take responsibility for this part of your life. And I'm mad at you for that. Yes. Oh, I can. Yeah. I feel like my face is turning red. 
No, I, I mean, I just, I, I, I viscerally actually do feel in my body how that felt just to be, yep. and all the things. And then the layer of like the not being in your true self. And I remember when I was doing that leadership cohort, it, we would be in Zion National Park, which yeah. what a great way to do that. And I would start every morning by like literally running up a hill, which now I'm thinking of that Kate Bush song because it's in Stranger Things. It's literally trending as the number two song in the world right now because of Stranger Things. But anyway, my son and I was just listening to it in the car. Um, but I would run all the way up this mountain and run down. And I was just, I was shedding mm -hmm. all of that false self, low side of two stuff. It took me years. It's interesting that you did that in a physical sense because what I have to do in order to shed all of that is cry, martyr, get angry, then settle down, then journal, then figure out which book to pick up that's going to help me let go of that. And so your word is shedding, mm -hmm. but for me... It's letting go. It's like I still have. I'm still owning it because if I let go, then you're not going to want me, right? It just keeps coming back to that childhood message of wanting to be wanted. Um, okay, I want to talk about this. Um, you know, there are a lot of people who don't know anything about Buddhism, who don't know that you can be a Buddhist Christian or a Buddhist Jew or a Buddhist. Druze, I suppose. Yeah, yep. Like you can be Buddhist and. It's a companion. It's the great, it's like the blood type that w works with all types. Yes. And I don't know how Buddhism has been around for so long, saying things in a way that's just slightly different. But like all the Buddhist teaching on suffering it's like if, if people could just read that and stop trying to set up a life where there is no suffering. So talk a little bit about your experience with learning, caring, teaching, talking about, living into being a Buddhist Christian. Yeah. Druze. Yeah. Lebanese. Right, yeah. All, everything. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and. Yes, I think the suffering piece, I mean, I had, it's not like I hadn't heard the four noble truths right. before, but it took until I was really among, it makes a bunch of sense, I was among actual Buddhists. Yeah, there you go. Where it didn't sound, you know, I was so rude about it before. I was like, what do you mean there's like no suffering or your, your whole goal is to like get rid of, be above this. I just thought it was all this ridiculous Gnostic, you know, I just was got it so wrong. I feel so bad that I got it so wrong uh, because actually the, the first noble truth that there is an, there is an inevitable unsatisfactoriness to life is just the truest thing in the whole world, That's isn't right. it? It's like, yep. You go, oh, and as a seven, I'm just about to push your buttons, Joel, so just get ready. Because you're on vacation, and you're having a great dinner, and it's the best thing, and also, you're never going to get to have that dinner again. That's right. And it's so like, it's an unsatisfactoriness right in the middle of the best thing, you know? Right. Every good thing ends, and then also every bad thing ends, and like, just that in every single thing, there is this sort of bittersweet quality and you just have to learn to accept it. Yep. It's just part of being human. It's actually maybe what being human is all about. It's why poets have anything to say. It's why novels are good. Exactly. It's why we like Stranger Things, right? It's all the things. 
And if we just can let it be instead of trying to fix it or get our way out of it, it works so much better because we are fighting an illusion to think that we can somehow make it less unsatisfactory, you know? And of course, with the original blessing stuff, it's like, y'all, Jesus did every single thing right. Mm -hmm. And look at where that got him. How do we know this isn't a cause and effect situation? He was like, yeah, I did it all right. And look how bad it ended for me. Mm -hmm. And I don't think in a way that was intended before the beginning of the world, you know? I think, um, what is that Leslie Weatherhead book we're reading, um, The Will of God. I just read that the other day. And he he said, Jesus didn't come here to die. He came to be followed. That's fascinating. You know, Richard Rohr says, uh, Jesus didn't come to prove he was God. He came to show us how to be human. Human, yes. Yeah. And I, I think we want real humanity to be over there mm-hmm. so we don't have to know that it can be us too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Joe's guy, who was the older priest who kind of, you know, he went to seminary at 14, and Oscar was like his person for all the years till he died. And Oscar defined holiness as an open heart and pure intentions. And he said, so, you know, everybody can be holy if you just want to. Like, it was like, you want to do that? Well, then you can. Ugh. So then you find out how impure your intentions are and how closed your heart is. Yeah. Until you do your work. Yeah. Do the work, do the work, do the work. Yeah. Because it costs a lot to have an open heart. Because you have to be present to that, not only the unsatisfactoriness, but the sadness all the time. But again, this is why I think, gosh, if eights could just realize that if they drop into that, first of all, you don't lose the intensity because boy, is it there. But also you can actually let that be something that gives you so much more room. Mm -hmm. It's so much more fulfilling to live that way than to try to like control on the shallow level, grab, hold on to, manipulate, whatever. That's just an exhausting game. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to me because I've never met anybody who really read Buddhist writers and worked with some things in Buddhist practices who then said, yeah, they got it all wrong. I've never met a soul who said, oh, yeah, that didn't work for me. If you do it, even one little tiny morsel, it works, right? It works. It's so practical. Yeah. So tell everybody what, if you were starting out, yeah, what you would tell them. You can be everybody's spiritual director for a minute. <laughs> About like meditation or Buddhism? Here or? the thing. Oh, you're interested in Buddhism? I would suggest that you read this, mm. do this. What? What, what? what would that be? I would say if you're interested in meditation, the two books I think are best. One is Pema Chodron's How to Meditate. Mm-hmm. I think it's the simplest entry point. She gives all the basics. She's funny. Who doesn't love her? It makes it feel real doable. She tells you all the things that your mind is going to be doing in that time anyway. It's great. And then The Untethered Soul is a deeper version of that, but that just blew my top off when I read it. Me too. I was like, I just, how did I not notice these things about like the quality of being? And then you start to say, there's just a bunch of stuff I don't know. And good things happen when you can say there's just a bunch of stuff I don't know. I try to live there. (laughs) It's fun. It's a fun place to live. Untethered yeah. Soul, you know, on Amazon you can get a deck of cards that have all sayings from Untethered Soul. Oh. 
Joe and I have a home altar, and I found those. Man, I, I, I got one of those up there by my candles every day. Sometimes the same one stays up for, I don't know, Long three time. weeks. <laughs> Just because that book is so exciting. Yeah. And doable. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Kind of doable. And uh, practice, you would say, meditate, right? Yeah. I would say meditation is just, it's, I can't think of anybody who does it, who doesn't think that it does change the quality of how they are in the world and how they are to themselves too. I mean, everyone benefits if you meditate. I just can't say that enough. Me either. Okay. So now you've been uh, at Baylor. You've been to seminary. You've started a church that's not very churchy. You're Lebanese. You're Druze. You're a second generation immigrant. You're uh, uh, you're a black belt. So we have all of that. And then let's talk about what you're giving yourself to that actually I think holds all of that in part. Um. Yeah, I feel really honored to be part of the work of Safe Spaces Lebanon. Um, I love that the way it came about is that my friend Rachel, um, who is a United Methodist minister, she's been doing refugee work for a real long time. Mm -hmm. And she called me one day and she said, this is so embarrassing, but you're the only Lebanese person I know. And do you know anybody who lives there? Do you have family who lives there? And I said, girl, everybody left a long time ago. They all died. I don't. What do you need? And she said, well, we're thinking about moving our work that we had done in Lesbos to do in in Lebanon and help with Syrian refugees there. And we're just trying to figure out what God might be up to. And so I said, well, I have this great family, Gus um, and Mona Sharif. They're at my kid's school. They're lovely. They're both fully Lebanese. Gus's family is all still there. Let me connect you. So in the very Lebanese way, we all met over at Gus's house for, they had a whole spread of just all the food. Yeah. It's like three in the afternoon and we, it looks like we're, we haven't eaten in days. Yeah. It's like, looks like we're breaking fast yeah. and have an iftar. And we sat down and they hit it off and like out of this thing created safe spaces. And um, Khaleb El-Sharif, Gus's brother who lives in Saida, is now our executive director. Mm-hmm. And so what we do is we have a school that um, supports one shelter of Syrian refugees um, who are orphans and um, we support them because they only get to go to school half a day because there's so many kids between Lebanese and Syrian kids that they have to split the, the school day in half. And so these Syrian kids who are way behind already are like extra behind. And then half the time it's in English and French, which they haven't learned. Right. So we're doing all that remedial work. We've, they've all cut up now, even through COVID. It's oh, it's so exciting. And then, um, after the blast in Beirut, we started, we met father Hani, who's a priest at the Carantina church next with, that's very close to the port. We started very naturally just saying, what do you need? And so now we have a community kitchen and we just broke ground on this, um, permanent community kitchen. And we're going to, um, now expand that to a community center inside us. So there's just tons of really exciting things happening with that. And it just makes me so happy. And I was finally able to go to Lebanon for the first time last May. Yeah. And it just was everything like just Ghaleb looked at me and he said, well, you look like you belong here. And I said, well, I feel like I belong here. Uh, It just, it feels like home. And of course, also it feels like I know nothing about this place because I didn't get to be here. So I felt like I belonged there and also that I didn't. And that's exactly the truth of it, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So I just hold that, um, the bit, you know, the unsatisfactory bitterness of just that 
in yep. between. Yeah. But it was a lovely experience, and I can't wait to get back. One of the things I want to point out, because uh, you know, Enneagram's my gig, <laughs> is that uh, all of that came from a phone call to you, and you're instrumental in all of it happening, but you didn't have to do it. I did not need to. And I think eights have to know that there are things that they can give to in very deep, meaningful ways that they don't have to make happen and then shepherd. Mm. It When Joe and I first started keeping Sabbath, we read, you know, and tried to figure out what to do and all of that. And I was fascinated by the fact that you start Sabbath by just going to bed. <laughs> you need to go to bed. And then Eugene Peterson said about Sabbath keeping, and then you get up the next day and find your place in what God's already doing. And I think for every Enneagram number, for nine different reasons, it's very difficult to just find your place in what's already happening instead of use your personality to make the thing happen. It's just tricky. Yeah. Can I tell you, Suzanne, that my favorite thing, my favorite, like, surprise this is how the world works for you thing is that when I realized that, okay, I think the thing I, I think the thing I'm most here to do is to hold space to empower people to be who they truly are, which I do in spiritual direction. I do in all my work, but I think in spiritual direction it's the purest form of that thing that I know I'm here to do. Mm-hmm. And it's the least me, right? I say the least amount. Yep. I'm not, sh- I'm not teaching. I'm, not, I'm just holding space. I'm asking questions. I'm mirroring, right? But in those moments, I feel like that is the most powerful work for me. Because for me, having had a spiritual director now for a long time, that space changed the parts of me that offer change to the world. It's like it just goes on and on and on and on and on. What are you curious about? I mean, we're going to be here for 45 more hours. Um, I'm curious about what it looks like to be with people whose view of truth is so different than me. Mm-hmm. I'm also angry about that. I'm curious about what the future of the church looks like and how malleable and flexible we will be to make it be what, I think God is calling it to be mm-hmm. and not what it has been. Don't you think Phyllis would love the opportunities that are available to us coming out of COVID? I just think she would say, see, look at, look yep. at what spirit cleared out. Yep. I'm talking about Phyllis Tickle for anybody who doesn't know. Like we're both going, oh, like just, I'd love to have just a day. I just, just one more day. I literally thought that like a month ago. I thought, I just wish I could call Phyllis and say, can yep. we just talk for 30 yep. minutes about what's going on? Yep. And I just, I want to hear your wisdom. Yeah. And she would just pour it right on out. And she would probably say, actually, though, she would say, well, Suzanne or Danielle, you have wisdom. Oh, yeah. What are you going to say? Yeah. You know, she yeah. would just put it right back. But, yeah. So maybe that's better. But yeah. Maybe we can hear her putting it right back on us. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I used to say, I want to be an old crone. And she would say, because, you know, she used to put that on her, on all her stuff, that she was the old crone. And I would say, I want to be an old crone. And she would say to me, well, how old are you? <laughs> I, I would say, uh, well, I'm, I'm probably old enough. And she would say, well, 
what, listen to this, what's keeping you from croning? And the answer is always me, right? Yeah. I love Crohn's, and I would say in the best way you are a Crohn. Thank you. I love Crohn's. You're getting close. Oh, gosh, that's a compliment. Thank you. There is so much hope, I think, for us to do things better and different because nobody's going to do things the way they were. I sure hope not. Well, it can't happen. People won't put up with it. People aren't coming. Yeah. They're not coming. So you want to do a new thing? Great. Here's books that were put out for you 20 years ago. (laughs) Sometimes on Twitter I'm like, man, I guess it's good. Y'all didn't hear us say all this stuff, but it was like, 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Prophetic, (laughs) right? I I told Joe, I thought talking about my new book and talking about liminality in the first chapter, at first I thought I missed the time. And then I thought, no, this is the, now everybody knows what this is. And I was prophetic. And Joe always says, you know, they kill prophets. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Killed y'all too. Right. That whole bunch of you who were saying, let's reimagine an emerging church. And people's response was, let's don't. Let's not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're ready now. I, they're they're listening now. Yeah, they are. <laughs> well, I, uh, I'm a fangirl for oh, all time. That's very sweet. Likewise. And I uh, thank you for all this. And who knows what's coming. <laughs>